Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki, episode six, for all time, always. The season, not series, the season finale. Directed by Kate Heron, written by Michael Waldron and Eric Martin. Michael Waldron is the head writer for the series. But before we talk about how this season comes to an end, just want to let you know where we have exclusive podcasts available over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, that's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just go ahead and hit the link in the show notes. We have Patreon credit scenes, supplemental material that goes along with these main oversized spoiler review podcasts. So for episode 211, which was our Black Widow spoiler review, the Patreon credit scene for that episode ended up being almost an hour long. That's where you'll hear me breaking down the What If trailer, as well as talking about the financial performance after the opening weekend of Black Widow. The corresponding Patreon credit scene for this episode 212, it was going to be Black Widow box office, but I already talked about that. So I will go through Marvel Studios' 28 Emmy nominations, 23 for WandaVision, 5 for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That'll be available over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, along with many more exclusive podcasts. And then just make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And thank you so much to all of you who've been taking the time to leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. They have been flooding in lately, and we really appreciate you all taking the time to do that. And you've all said some very nice things, which we greatly appreciate. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave your rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well. Now, let's talk about the season finale of Loki. Paul Herman, how you doing? Finally! <laughs> Finally! <sighs> Finally, oh Mephisto in the MCU. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> or rather, not a repeat of, well, to be clear, like we said before, and we definitely said it in our episode five spoiler review, the Mephisto situation and the Kang situation, very different situations. We talked in, you know, for far too long. It's going to make the episode not age very well, as I was admitting before we started recording, how worried we were. Not, I don't know if worried is the right word. Maybe it was the right word. I don't know. We weren't overjoyed at the prospect of Loki and Sylvie finding King Loki after journey into mystery and the glorious purpose that ended episode five of uh, of the series and we were really hoping that all the clues that pointed to kang would actually pay off and they do he's not called kang in this episode he refers to having been called a conqueror as in kang the conqueror so that's there but we do get Jonathan Majors, whom we know is playing Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, probably some other stuff potentially between now and then, at least some mid and post credit scenes, I think, between now and then, maybe even in Loki season two before we get to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Who knows at this point, but the guy playing Kang the Conqueror showed up in the season finale of Loki, and he played a version of Kang that 
took on the name He Who Remains, but will probably remind some comic book fans of Immortus, uh, another version of Kang, like after he's Kang, because it's comic books and it's crazy and it's weird. And we'll explain more as we get into the episode. But yes, Paul, it felt good to have these little clues that were planted in this series. And we've been tracking them and talking about them and even felt a little bit bad for talking about them if you go back to our early spoiler reviews. Mm -hmm. But it was perfectly fine, perfectly okay, because it paid off in the end. I'll be honest, Sean, I was kind of surprised. I, I think most people like this this finale. I think that it's been universally liked. And I have I have seen some negative comments on it. And it's interesting because people have said, well, it's like it, it wasn't what they expected. They expected this big grand finale of like this, you know, two Loki's taking on this powerful being. And it was the exact opposite of that from the the standpoint of a physical fight. Right. Like you brought up a good point before. It's more philo- philosophical than it is a actual physical fight, which is a, f- a philosophical fight, if you will. I mean, in, the in only words. physical fight happens between Loki between and Sylvie. Yeah. And yeah. it lasts like 30 seconds. It's not, this right. is not an action driven finale. It is, to be fair, I, I think it is, I can go along with that criticism to an extent. It is a little talky talky. It is. And and so that was, uh, I could have, you know, I could have been okay with a little more action. Uh, Not necessarily the big confrontation between Loki, Sylvie, and he who remains, because look, you're not going to get that big confrontation. If we know, if we're hoping for this character who we already know is showing up in later things, or at least one later thing, if we're hoping for him to be introduced here, then we know the big confrontation probably won't happen here if we actually get what we want. Mm -hmm. So I I don't, I'm not really surprised that we didn't get a big showdown physically in in terms of a battle between he who remains and Loki and Sylvie, but maybe the battle could have been somewhere else in the episode. I don't really know. Um, It didn't necessarily have to be a battle, something, even if it's a more physical challenge to like get inside the Citadel, although I think part of the point was that it was easy at that uh, when they arrived. But anyway, I agree. A little talky-talky, but... It's good talky talky. And yeah. I think what it allowed yeah. the finale to do is big things are happening in this finale. At the end of mm-hmm. this, the MCU is forever changed. Big things are happening. But because they kept it a little more focused on the, the philosophical conversations and, and, and the dilemma that was at hand at the end of this episode, it's still a very intimate and emotional story that focuses on character above all else. And it's hard for me to knock that because all of that was so good, and I will explain the reasons why. But also, it's still a big enough finale because the MCU becomes the MCM, the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. And I'm not, that's not me uh, making a case for rebranding. MCU's fine, just leave it as it is. Yeah. But yeah, effectively, yeah. what it has become is the multiverse, what was teased with the bombing of the sacred timeline in episode two that didn't actually cross the threshold and create the multiverse. We got that. The threshold has been crossed by the end of this episode. So there's a fulfillment of a lot of promises there while also just being a really crazy, weird, philosophical and emotional story. And, uh, I'm all about it. And, yeah. And, and I'll be honest. I think the reason why I liked it a lot is because it was talky talky. Mm-hmm. It was the exact opposite. And now I don't want to get into this whole like uh, subverting expectations kind of thing is always a good thing. I think in moderation, 
it can be. And I think with something like this that has a lot of philosophical ideas that have already been established, it made a lot of sense, I think, thematically wise to have a talky talky finale opposed to a, you know, end game, you know, at the very end, raw, you know, bash, 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 bash. You know, to be honest, I almost thought we we're going to get this for WandaVision as far as the talky talky kind of thing than we did. And I really prefer this with a show like Loki, not necessarily with a Falcon Winter Soldier. That's more mm-hmm. where I want my bread and butter action, you know, and, and mask and right. punching and stuff like that. This and this is, again, the what I love about the Marvel characters and why I love the Marvel comic books is that you get a lot of diversity of storytelling like this is that you can have these talky talky episodes, which I love saying talky talky, by the way, if you haven't told. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, tell. Mobius. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I, I think that this is the thing that sets the Marvel characters apart is that you can have a lot of these, these conversations or a lot of these uh, these ideas and and not have the same storytelling over and over and over again and tell some interesting stories. So I think that's why I, I like this episode so much because it was executed very well. This could have gone very badly. Right. Uh, very fast. But the way it's written, the way it's acted and portrayed – it's, it's all really, really well done, and I can't wait to break it all down. But, yeah, I, I was surprised people were kind of like, oh, that was what I was expecting. I'm like, that's kind of the point, <laughs> right? Well, that and was... also, it is a season finale and not right. a series finale like WandaVision. And I think this is something that you that's can expect point. from a season finale is that, I mean, this is not uncommon in ongoing series television that's going to go, that's going to run for multiple seasons is that, you get to the end of the road, or at least what you thought was the end of the road, and then you learn that, like, oh, this is what you thought was the end is is really only just the beginning, and we're reframing this whole thing, and now you have to basically solve this whole new set of problems. I mean, it, I put it in these very general terms, and it, make, it makes it sound like Loki's done something that a bunch of other shows have done. Only in those very vague general terms, when we look into the specifics of the show... It's definitely doing its own thing. And and also it is serving a very different function than the series finale of something like WandaVision. And also, I think for all the talk that, you know, and that was, I think, one of the concerns with WandaVision that I didn't necessarily agree with is that it had this very personal, intimate story, but it was going to be resolved in a big MCU action set piece where this one with Loki, it's like, well, it wasn't resolved. I mean, it wasn't resolved at all, really. But um, the the end of the season, the conclusion of the season was not a big action set piece. It was a more intimate conversation between these characters that turns into a philosophical dilemma. And then everything just hits the fan by the end of the episode to close out the season. So I, I thought it it worked. I thought it totally served the function that it was meant to serve. And it was also a really, really enjoyable watch. Uh, and thanks in large part to the performances and just letting the actors shine, especially Jonathan Majors making his MCU debut in this episode. And uh, to really quickly, because I can't help but digress, I'm not knocking the WandaVision finale for having an MCU action set piece. Go back to our spoiler review of the series finale. It also had a very uh, emotional and intimate ending, even with the big runes battle between Scarlet Witch and uh, and Agatha as everybody earned their bazillion Emmy nominations uh, earlier this week. So in getting into the specifics of what actually happened in this episode, we start out with the sacred timeline. And 
I'm not going to go through all. There's plenty of articles that are out there that can give you the full list of all the different lines of dialogue. You hear everybody from, I mean, it starts with Sam Wilson saying, way to go, Tic Tac, after, of course, Scott turned into Giant Man in Captain America Civil War. But we hear Hope Van Dyne, we hear T'Challa, we hear Peter Quill, Thor with a, He's a Friend from Work, Hank Pym, Carol gets in a, a higher, further, faster baby. Uh, we have the Hulk from, from Loki and Avengers Infinity War. Korg gets in there, not just doing reaction videos with Deadpool that now is probably part of the multiverse somehow. I don't know. Um, but we get a bunch of these iconic lines. I have to include Puny God from Hulk. And also the, I can do this all day, and yeah, I know, back and forth, Steve Rogers to himself in Avengers Endgame. So we get all of these iconic lines from the MCU. I know I, I said I wasn't going to list them all, and I almost did. Um, but we get all these lines from the MCU, but then we also get some real-world uh, historical and, and present-day figures. Uh, Alan Watts, uh, we think of time as a one-way motion. Neil Armstrong, one small step for man. Greta Thunberg, uh, her how dare they. Uh, Malala Yousafzai saying, talking about her my dream speech. And then we have uh, and Nelson Mandela, we have fought for the right to experience peace. Uh, we hear, and then we go back to the MCU. We hear classic Loki's glorious purpose from last week. Uh, we hear, uh, of course, Vision, going back to those WandaVision Emmy nominations, uh, from an, an Emmy-nominated episode, What is Grief, If Not Love Persevering? Maya Angelou, I Will Rise, and then Open Your Eyes from Sylvie uh, from last week. And I think the purpose of this is we find out, because we're touring what kind of looks like the universe, the multiverse. It's very reminiscent of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange's tour of the multiverse when he got to Camartage in the very first Doctor Strange film. Well, the only Doctor Strange film that's been released to date. It looks like that, but what we're really doing is we're taking a trip around the sacred timeline. And I think the whole purpose of this, because in the MCU, and the reason why it's merged with, you have the iconic lines of the MCU with lines from people who actually lived or and or still live in real life. And I, I think it's really the message here is that it's all been part of one timeline. It's all been part of the sacred timeline. And why is Marvel reminding us of that point at the beginning of this episode? Well, that's because by the end of this episode, there will no longer be a single sacred timeline. The Marvel Cinematic Universe will truly become the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse and I love the visual representation of this, Paul, because I, I don't know that it's a flat circle, like Matthew McConaughey might say, but it is a circle, and it's wrapping around this big floating rock, and on that rock sits the Citadel at the end of time. But I, I really like this kind of level set of, here's where we've been up until this point. This Everything you've been watching and experiencing and living outside of our story has all been part of this one sacred timeline that we are about to blow up. Yeah, and that was something that I'm still trying to wrap my head around <clears throat> because, you know, in Endgame, we know that they have the gems and and the Ancient One explains how every time you take one off, another branch, basically what, what Kane talks about, right? Like there's another branch of reality comes around. It's I'm, I'm just trying to think, there's no way that, they definitely have pruned the TV has pruned a lot, but have they pruned everything is, is there one major timeline? Yes, but there's still even a little bit of branches off of just that one timeline. That's what I'm just kind of like, I'm still not 
yeah convinced well, it's just one by, straight yeah by end game logic when you put the stone back exactly where you took it you clip the branch so to speak hopefully without like killing everybody and they get consumed by a <laughs> right. ideally that's not what steve yeah, rogers right, did at the right. end of avengers endgame so uh, crossing our fingers that that's still true but i also think that the way i kind of always envisioned it in my head for Avengers Endgame and, and the time travel logic is that I always looked at it as there are multiple parallel timelines. And okay, right. And, and okay, I think gotcha. like when you look at the sacred timeline, I mean, and this is just my own visual interpretation that means <laughs> nothing, but this right. is how it works in my head is it does actually kind of look like multiple strands being woven together yes. and, and working okay. alongside each other. And that was actually kind of what it looked like in the animated representation from Ms. Minutes uh, way back in episode one. So it's not that the sacred timeline is not to me truly one one single timeline. It is all the timelines that obey the rules and serve the purpose of he who remains. Yes. And and that's what I interpret it as well. So uh, that is one good, that is a good point. Cause I don't think that Kang, it hits the major milestones, even if not everything is exactly the same. Right. Because I think there needs to be, and the way I've always thought of Kang and, and time travel and to make sense of everything from the comic books is that there need to be some chaos in order for him to have some kind of rule or, or you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there, there need to be some kind of something where he could kind of get control of and use his power to, to kind of, you know, have more power because of the chaos that's ensuing um, in certain areas. And I think you see a little bit of that in this planet with, you know, that's pruned with everything as well. Right. You have, um, Eliath is consuming everything. It's almost like he's putting everything there to distract him or it, I should say, um, to like keep it off of maybe other, other, uh, reality sense, if you will. So there is, I was just curious what you thought, because I do like the fact that, and maybe this was unintentional. I don't think it was Sean, but it almost like, uh, I think Endgame kind of, unintentionally hinted at what they're going to be doing in the future MCU films, as far as like what the main focus is going to be in that movie, but we didn't know it at the time. And again, I'm not sure if that's an accident, if that was purposeful or kind of a little bit of both, but that's, it's really cool that to think about that, how there are these branches that the ancient one even talked about with Bruce Banner and Endgame. And now we're kind of seeing the fruition a little bit of that. And then the extent of like a Thanos level villain, not Thanos, you know, itself, but a Thanos like villain and what that means and what that, what it happens to these universes and whatnot. So I thought that was really cool. And seeing that in this episode and talked about obviously in the previous episodes and how we get this later on. So anyway, I just wanted your quick take on that. I'm glad we're both in line on that. So that's good. Yeah. And I think that's part of why it, it seems so arbitrary as to yes. why, like the the things that get what constitutes a variant where where it has to be reset and things have to be pruned where some things seemed big like you led an uprising or you were just late to work the arbitrary nature of of what determines what is or isn't a variant points to the idea that there can be variation among the timelines, it's just there are certain variations that are not allowed because they turn into other things and they spiral into full-on branched mm-hmm. timelines. So obviously, whatever the Avengers, whatever the, the Avengers did, was fine. Even as Renslayer says, that was supposed to happen, uh, which is why right. they were not in trouble and Loki was. When we go back to uh, to episode one, but as far as the Citadel at the end of time, before we even enter the building. 
Sylvie and Loki approach, and Sylvie stops. You know, she hesitates when she first mm-hmm. looks at it. And Sophia DiMartino does a great job of representing what this moment means to Sylvie. It's everything she's worked for, and she's finally here. So what now? I mean, she like she just stops. You see her like swallowing really hard. She just doesn't really. she's thought of this moment over and over again in her head, who knows how many times, countless times at this point, but now it's finally here and she kind of hesitates for a second. And she wonders if Loki will tell her not to kick the door in. And he says, well, it wouldn't make a difference. Uh, It won't later. Uh, Sylvie then says uh, she'd prefer Loki speak his, uh, speak his mind if he thinks it's a bad idea, but he's got nothing to say. And this moment, I mean, it, it was meaningful the first time I watched it because, again, of uh, Sylvie's hesitation. But on the second time through, it meant even more because it's the opposite of what happens later. Mm-hmm. Later in the episode, Loki does speak his mind. He does essentially tell her not to kick in the door to multiversal war, but she carries on doing what she think, what she wants and what she thinks is right. Uh, she kicks that door in. And so I like this sort of reverse foreshadowing of this idea that in this moment, Sylvie is kind of trusting Loki and wanting him to weigh in and wanting his opinion. But later on, that trust uh, erodes a little bit. I, I don't know how strong it was really to begin with, but that trust is not there. She doesn't really want to hear Loki's take on it when it gets to this critical moment. And that's not to say that Sylvie needs to be listening to Loki all the time. Not at all. But it just goes to show how in kind of the the heat of the moment after this entire conversation with He Who Remains, Sylvie wasn't thinking quite the same way that she was at this moment right here at the steps right in front of the door to uh, the Citadel at the end of time. Well, I I think that what I liked about this part was you see the human nature of, of Sylvie, right? And these people are gods, you know, as far as Loki and, and Asgard and whatnot, but the humanity of any of these characters is what makes us, you know, connect to them. Right. And that's what, and I love Absolutely. the fact that, and I think that what I love about this part is the fact that Sylvie is, it's a very human nature thing. Like you, you work all this way and there's doubt, there's fear. Yeah. There's, I mean, cause they don't know, of course she wants to, she'll give her her life for you know, her revenge and what they took from her. But at the same time, she has no idea what's on the other side of the fact that they could just blow her out of the water, which in, you know, we get kind of an idea later on that what, you know, that she is almost powerless, which I think, well, I'll get into that later. It's, it's not powerless, but you get, I'll get to that in a second. Um, when we get to that point later on, but at this point she has no idea what she's going to go up against. And she, kn- she thinks in th- at this point she's in a fight for her life. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be a physical confrontation. So there's that built in fear. And we, as, and again, this is why I love, this is where I think subverting expectations is a good thing because you're playing off the emotions of the characters at that moment. And it's not what the characters expect, but there's an explanation. There's a thematic purpose and it goes throughout the entire episode. And here you have it built up. She's like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is, you know, this guy is, he's in charge of time. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know TV. if it's, yeah. I don't even know if it's doubt that she can do it. I, I think there might be some of that, but I also think there's, I think, you, as you bring up, in Loki. Well, as you rightfully bring up, though, like the the human part of this, 
And I know they're Asgardian, whatever. They're yes, human. Yes, yes. They're human, exactly. Give or take 5,000 years, <laughs> as Loki once said. But yeah. what's very human about this is I think anybody, you know, listening to this or just you and I here, like, I think people have been in that position where they've wanted something so bad for a long time. Maybe you've mm-hmm. set a goal for yourself, whatever it is. And maybe it's not, you know, killing beings at the end of time. <laughs> but there's something the that me. you set your sights on that you wanted really bad And when you're on the cusp of getting it, even if you're confident that you're going to get it, that's still nerve wracking. That's Mm -hmm. still an overwhelming sense of everything you ever. and, And if there's doubt, I think sometimes that doubt may not always be your ability to accomplish said task when it's time to step up and do it. Sometimes the doubt is, what is it going to mean if I do? What is it going to mean if I accomplish this? This is the purpose that she has set for herself, is that I am going to kill whoever created the TVA. That's the timekeepers. No, not them. Okay, keep going. And I am going to, now here I am, I am going to take out whoever it is who's responsible for all of this, and then I will be happy. And then I will be good. And so I think taking that moment, because I think it's a lot of mixed emotions that are very overwhelming there's the anticipation of what's about to happen there's the questioning of what's about to happen but also the question of what would happen next and i think that's why as she says she needs a moment all those reasons no and and that's a great point the fact that i I didn't even think about that the fact that what are they going to do after they do destroy this character you know or whoever's behind it and there again i think all those things are setting in that's a great point and Again, that sets up, and this is why I think this is awesome, because when you subvert the idea of what goes on afterwards when they go through that door, the fact that it opens up to them you know, naturally, and the fact that she go, they go through, it's not what she expects. So she stews that whole time as she sees this person who's in charge, not even taking it seriously. So you have all of that to lead up to the very end. And I think this is a great moment because, again, great acting, great writing, because she's so you're, you're you see the build up, you're building it up self, uh, it's you're building the scene up yourself. And then all of a sudden there's no payoff. You're like, what, what the hell? Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean like payoff in the bad way, but just like, wait, what, what's going on now? And now you kind of get to see her stew for all that time. And I love that. I think that's an underrated part of this episode is the fact that it just I think to me justifies what she does later on. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is a great setup for that whole, well, I think this whole episode yeah. kind of hinges for her, for her specifically. Well, not, not, not as much Loki, but, but yeah. her for sure. And even what happens in this, I mean, the visual representation of it, like she came here ready for a fight because that's her yes. whole life has been a fight, a fight for survival, a fight against the TVA. Her whole life has been this fight. She comes in here ready for it, thinking she's going to have to kick the door in and the doors just open up for her. And It's Mm -hmm. even a similar thing of what happens with he who remains is that he never fights her. He exactly. You want to kill me? Go right ahead. I mean, this whole thing is she's not getting the resistance that she would have expected, um, but she doesn't even totally realize that yet. But this is part of what throws her off is she's ready to, you know, it's, it's the last moment before battle, take that moment and then get ready. But the doors open on their own. And the first person to greet them, I'll call her a person because she's delightful. First person Mm. to meet them inside the Citadel at the end of time is Miss Minutes, Mm. who says he's impressed. Who's he? He who remains. 
He created all and he controls all. At the end, it is only he who remains. And one of the, another thing we talked about in our episode five spoiler review was this idea of the last temptation of Loki. And we get that sort of uh, at the beginning of this episode from Miss Minutes, where she offers them a deal. They let the TVA keep going and keep doing their work. And then Loki and Sylvie will go back into the timeline. They'll be inserted back into the timeline. How is that going to work? They're going to make it work. So Loki and Sylvie will go back into the timeline and get what they've always wanted. For Loki, that's winning the Battle of New York, getting to kill Thanos, getting the Infinity Gauntlet, the Throne of Asgard, you name it, Loki gets it. Sylvie gets to wake up tomorrow with a lifetime of happy memories, and they both get to be together. Two Lokis in the same place, they get to be together on the timeline. It's crazy, Miss Minutes says, but he could make it work. Sylvie points out that this is fiction, and Loki talks about how they write their own destiny. Miss Minutes, with a little bit of menace, because, you know, Miss Malicious Minutes. Uh, mm. Oh, sure you do. Good luck with that. But I love this, because it was that last attempt at, well, maybe not the last one, because there's a deal, another deal that's offered later. But here's an opportunity to tempt Loki and Sylvie. I don't think it was ever going to work with Sylvie, but what I found so interesting about the scene is how it didn't work at all with Loki because mm. it, it's not just that he turned it down. It's because he wasn't tempted at all. There wasn't even mm. like a beat where Loki is thinking about it. Like maybe I do want the infinity gauntlet. So what that's showing is that Miss Minutes and he who remains, what they don't understand is something we do because we've been with Loki on this journey. And it's that, Loki has learned over the course of this story that he doesn't want those things. Everything that she's listing, those are things that no longer mean anything to Loki. It's the stuff he thought he wanted, but as he's learned more about himself, he's grown, he's figured out what really matters, and it's not the glory of beating the Avengers or the power of the Infinity Gauntlet. It's connection. It's serving a greater good. It's a true glorious purpose. Unfortunately for Loki, that's not... Even even that isn't very easy, but I, I loved Loki just pretty much having no temptation at all to go along with this offer. Yeah, again, a true kind of a character fulfillment of what the themes and, and, and the fact that this Loki is very much different than all the rest. And I, I do find it very awesome that Tom Hiddleston is playing the same character, but variations of the character, uh, literal variations. Instead of just kind of a natural character development of this long-standing character, you have one have an arc and, and die, and now he has this whole different arc with this character. It's unique and interesting, and I love the fact that he loves playing the character, and it's kind of a culmination of that. But what the again, for me, what I found fascinating here, Sean, is the he who remains king, or whatever you want to call him, uh, whatever million names you right. goes by. Whoo! That's good. Whew, man, that future episode we do. Whoo! Oh, man. Anyway, um, I do find it interesting that he's trying to offer through Miss Minutes these things for them. And especially what it kind of what he says later on. Like, well, I, I thought all, I saw all this coming and, and whatever. I I immediately took this as okay, I don't think he expected them to get this far. There's something, if, if if he really wasn't concerned in any way and it was meant to be, he wouldn't send 
miss minutes to get out there and explain and offer all, all these things for him. There's something more at play, I think, here. And again, what, what's the reason why Lokis are all pruned in the first place? And I think we're kind of seeing mm-hmm. what that result is. And I don't, and I don't know, because I, I don't know what that means exactly. I could be way off, but I think there's a, I think there definitely is a reason. And I think Loki's play, um, or Enchantress, if I would say, Enchantress and Loki or whatever, the the they play a deeper part always in these timelines because they're able to see. Because again, what is Loki known for? He's the the classic Palpatine, right? He's always got plans within plans within, within plans and long game, the long game, the long game for the most part. I think that's what Kang is probably trying is up against. He know those people are what his downfall is. And I think that he's offering them that because he knows like this is my end. If they get through, I'm done. And then this version of Kang or whoever goes and I, he tells her later on, you know, whatever. We'll get to that in a second. Right. But I do I do think there's a reason. I, I don't think he sends Miss Minutes as like an active show like, oh, this will be fun. I think I think this Kang or this version is literally like, OK, I'm at the end of my rope. Uh, once they get through here, it's over. So I'm just going to hang out and do my thing. But that's kind of where I'm I kind of take that as personally. Yeah, it is interesting because if he knows what's going to happen, at least up until he gets to that point where right. he no longer knows what's going to happen. But yes, this is exactly. still within that time where he supposedly knows everything that's going to happen. Why even bother with the offer if you know it's going to be turned down? Mm-hmm. I could see that. I, I'm sure that if he were going to explain it away um, and but who knows if we could trust him. I'm sure he who remains would say that that was all just part of the song and dance was to to show this vulnerability, sure. to fake this little last desperate attempt to tempt them so they won't carry on with the mission and confront him. But knowing full well that they would turn that down and not really minding and, and just continuing on with the song and dance because he wanted to meet them and have the conversation that they were supposed to have anyway. I'm sure that's the way he would explain it, but whether or not that would be the truth, I don't know. And so I think that's a valid point on, on your part that, yeah, that maybe there was a, a part of this that, I, I mean, certainly there was a lot of resistance, right? I mean, it's not right. like he fought them the whole time through the TVA. Mm-hmm. So did he really want them to be there? Or maybe he's just like, well, look, we can go through this because at the same time, I mean, maybe for he who remains just needed the show. Because he's really bored Possible. sitting there yeah, all alone at the says. end of the time. Although I would argue that if Miss Minutes is keeping you company, that's good company. And I think you could have great conversations with Miss Minutes. But I Agreed. guess if you've been doing that for eons, maybe that's not interesting enough anymore either. No idea. Mm. Um, but we're not going to meet He Who Remains just yet in this episode. We cut to Renslayer's office, and Renslayer is missing Mobius, looking at those rings on the table. And Miss Minutes is back here now delivering the files about the creation of the TVA, except that's not what they are. It's not what, uh, it is not what Renslayer ordered as far as the files that uh, she wanted. And uh, Miss Minutes says it's something that he thinks will be more useful without really specifying who's he, and, and Ravona Renslayer does not know. But uh, we are about to find out because we go back to the Citadel and Loki and Sylvie are walking through. They see statues of the Timekeepers, It's a bit dusty, so Loki is wondering if anybody's still around, and we hear an elevator, the elevator settles, the doors open, revealing Jonathan Majors, he who remains, 
aka Kang, aka Rama Tut, aka Immortus, aka, 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 lots of different oh. things for Kang in the comic books. Ooh. Not, thankfully, not King Loki. And there is still Thank like God. a Loki from the trailers that we never saw in the show. I don't think because uh, I, I know some people think they go fake shots and trailers and stuff like that. And maybe the Russos did that with Infinity War. I think they actually lied. I think that was a real shot. And then the movie changed. But whatever the shot with Hulk and Wakanda and everything, because Hulk actually was in Wakanda at one point in Avengers Infinity War. I digress. I think the King Loki shots in the trailers were legit and they eventually got cut out. I just think they were serving a different purpose. I don't think they were ever about making him the big villain in this story. But when they knew they weren't going to use that material in the show, because you don't go through that, you don't design a whole set and set up all these people in different Asgardian costumes and do a different costume for Loki. All that stuff costs money. You don't do you don't spend that much money to fool fans in trailers. It's just that changed and then they used or they decided to cut the scene out of the show, whatever that scene was, and then use it, I guess, for trailers because it looked cool and maybe it would throw fans off the scent and, and plant a seed of doubt in everything that was pointing in the direction of Kang. But anyway, getting back to what's actually happening in this episode, my apologies, Jonathan Majors, He Who Remains. He Who Remains is a different character in the comic books, but he is the one who actually created the Timekeepers. So that part is where they've kind of allowed Kang to take over the essence of this character, He Who Remains, but then, of course, going much further beyond that into true Kang territory. Mm. But the closest comparison within the many identities of Kang in Marvel Comics would be Immortus, because Immortus is what Kang kind of is the form that Kang or Nathaniel Richards graduates to after, you know, when he first went back in time to ancient Egypt, he was Ramatut, but he was originally from the 31st century. I know this is confusing, but... Uh, when he originally went back in time, but then he was Kang the Conqueror for like most of the time that he's been around in different iterations of Kang, and we'll, yeah, that is actually addressed uh, in this episode. But Immortus is kind of the one who's left at the end of it all, and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much who we're seeing. That's the phase of Kang in the comic books that we are seeing represented by He Who Remains. And I, I love it that his first line, like as he walks out of the elevator, is, this is wild. Yeah, you could say that again. And, uh, you know, he's he says, like, he's talking about the two of you, same person. It's a little unnatural, referring to their romance, most likely. Um, he's sitting there chomping on an apple. Um, and then when they're talking about he who remains, he's saying, she still calls me that. Creepy, but I like it. Um, and then he invites him to talk in his office. Uh, Loki comments on him be, uh, being just a man. And he says, don't tell me I'm a disappointment. And then Sylvie observes that that would just make him a little easier to kill. She goes for it, but he's got a little Tempad Apple Watch edition uh, that he uses to move around and time loop himself and wherever he needs to be uh, so that Sylvie cannot actually stab him yet. Um, but this initial introduction, I mean, getting into the office, they're like on, they're totally on guard and he just chuckles. He's serving them tea and like two sugars and whatever. And they just, you know, sit down before we go back to Renslayer's office. But this whole introduction to this character, I thought was terrific. And I love yes. the way that Jonathan Majors plays this because it's mm-hmm. so it's such the opposite of what Sylvie was expecting. Exactly. It's supposed to be a big, intense battle. And it's what the fans are expecting. Big, intense exactly. battle. But here's this guy who is he could not be more comfortable in this setting mm-hmm. and, and in this scene. He is weirdly casual and in talking about the way that Jonathan Majors plays this as far as the performance, 
it's not ominous or foreboding like Thanos. Like we're trying to think about this next Thanos sort of villain. And I've always said, well, the next Thanos should be there is no next Thanos. Like it, it's really going to be important if you're going to have a big bad that stretches across multiple Marvel Studios projects that he had that that character completely has a different identity. And I mean, Kang will have multiple different identities, most likely. Yeah. But the way this is played here, he's a mad king or conqueror who has perhaps gone a bit mad after being maybe on the job too long. But mm-hmm. he's I mean, he says this is wild. He's wild. He's weird. He's unfazed. And I love it. One of the things that he says, and correct me if I'm wrong, I only saw it once, Sean, but I do believe he actually does say out loud, not what you were expecting. Um, yes, he does say that. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's so meta. Like he said yeah. that out loud. I went, yep, <laughs> that's totally what they're trolling us with that whole mm-hmm. thing. And I, and I think it's a good troll. I really do because it does set up the fact that let's be real here. I mean, and he also establishes that he's powerful. Like he can destroy them. Like, it's not like he even says, I know your every move. So he could, you know, anytime he can destroy them and he knows that. So at the same time, it, it, so it, again, it gets so confusing because why did he send Miss Minutes for whatever? So all that being said, it is interesting. And I, I love the fact that he says that outright because, you know, even his, mm-hmm. when he first comes off, I'm like, he's eating an apple. I'm like, okay, this is obviously this is, this is Kang. He's wearing a purple thing, you know, thing and what it's masters, all that stuff. But I'm like, this is totally hilarious. The fact that they're, yeah, they gave us Kang, but not what you were expecting. It's like, literally as he said that out, I'm like, man, so many people right. are like, who the hell is this? And, I I do find this is probably because I'm like many people and, and I know you kind of talked about how you kind of hope that this is a, this personality does stay with him to give it the Kang personality a little bit more different uh, kind of feel than Thanos. I, I, I kind of I see your point and I agree a little bit, but I do I do think that this is a great setup, though, to show us that what he's talking about, because right. I because this character is so ridiculously over the top. And I, by the way, I love that, uh, Kang eats green apples. That's my favorite apple too. So <laughs> Kang, my boy, as usual, I love Kang. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and to be clear, I don't want this exact same portrayal sure. and I don't mm-hmm. think it would be because yeah. different personalities and, and variants, yes. right? We've seen the Lokis right. are all a little bit different. So Kang's would also be presumably, Yes. Some a little different, some a lot different. I mm-hmm. do think that there is something in here. There's an essence in here that I kind of hope carries over that's not necessarily as over the top and right, frankly right, casual right. as as this uh version of Kang yeah. or He Who Remains is right now. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think that there is gonna be some kind of if I'm gonna guess, it's probably gonna be that very kind of non like very nonchalant, like kind of care, you know, mm-hmm. no care in the world or universe or timeline, if you will. Well, certainly because, the arrogance is totally king. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it's a different form of that. So and you and you brought up a great point too, that this is definitely a form of more of Immortus and less the conqueror. And that and that itself is important because for those who don't know just kind of give you an idea. I was going to drop it here. We'll, we'll elaborate more later on in, in different episodes, but the whole point of Immortus and Kang is that they don't like each other. Mm-hmm. Like Kang does not want to become Immortus and there is going, so that's where I think you're almost going to see at some point two Kangs at odds with each other. It's not going to be one Kang. 
it, all these cancel, you know, there, I know there's a council of Kings or whatever, council of Kings, whatever, but like Immortus himself and Kang, they don't like each other. They do not want, they do not want to see each other, you know, overcome. Like, it's, it's crazy. And that's the thing about, uh, this is so interesting is that this Kang or this, you know, he who remains is kind of like, he's just kind of all over the place. And you kind of wonder maybe this Immortus was able to clip the variants of Kang. And that's why he's kind of like without Kang kind of sent, you know, centering him and making him have a focus, he kind of loses focus and it's all over the, he's all over the place. So it, it's kind of interesting. So I, I do think that there's going to be an aspect of, like you said, Sean, of his personality within the other variants we're going to get, because you're going to get, my guess right now, we're going to get a lot of all variants of Kang and not just like kind of fun things that we'd had in the last episode of uh, Loki, but more of, like I'd say at least three, at least three major character Kings I'm going to say right now, but, but yeah, th not including this guy, by the way. So, but again, the introduction and, and understanding of like what this means, it's a good, I, I hate saying a soft approach, but that's kind of what it was, Sean. It's a very much a, a soft introduction to, to a, a major character, major mm -hmm. character. And I think that's, that's the genius of Marvel studios is the fact that they're they're instead of kind of dropping the same, doing the same thing they did with Thanos, like let's do end credit scene reveals. And, and that would be the easiest and let's be yeah. honest, like way to do it, but no, but it's also what we, even we said not to do last right. week. Like why repeat that? Yeah. But now you have a whole episode again, and this is what makes it wild for me. People be like, I don't like it. Cause it, you know, what is this all about? Like, they did exactly the opposite of what we all expected in a sense to where what King is. And they've given us a great introduction to the idea, not King himself and mm. Immortus himself, as far as we know, of course. But I would say they gave us what to expect and dropped a giant, like uh, a great introduction of just what the world and what this could mean. And using that actor and having it be that talky-talky, if you will, it's just brilliant. And I do, and that's where I was kind of sitting. I, I, it wasn't what I expected, but I loved what I got. And I just, it, I'm, I feel bad for people who didn't like it because I think this is, in the end, it's very much going to be one of those MCU things, Sean, that I think will age just huge, hugely well over time because of what this moment will mean for the MCU going forward. Yeah, I mean, mostly what I've seen is an overwhelmingly positive reaction to it. But yeah, if it wasn't your thing, don't worry. I, I think the story will continue and, and hopefully it will uh, <laughs> be, be more to your liking. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I really liked this take on the character. And, and and of course, this is not the only version of the character. And, and I'm sure that Jonathan Majors will tailor his performance to the different, uh, you know, personality traits of the various, you know, of the various variants of he who remains slash Kang slash whoever. And this version of it, though, I, I thought was perfect for this moment because this has all been just intense, emotional journeys throughout this entire series. And, and here's a guy who's just like, eh, whatever happens, happens. I mean, I kind of know what happens. I kind of don't. But either way, I'm good. Uh, I, I really like his uh, his super casual fun approach to to all of this uh i was mm. having a blast with it while also mm. just you know loving the way he was not because like i don't like loki and sylvia i love them but being a good antagonist in the way he was really tormenting these characters in a way that 
is not what you would normally expect an antagonist to go after the character characters. I mean, physically trying to harm them or whatever, really offering them things that they wanted or things that they thought they wanted, but then really just putting this philosophical, this moral dilemma in front of them by the end of this episode, but we are still not there yet. Uh, we are back to Renslayer's office, and this time Mobius is back. He even says it. He's back. Uh, Mobius uh, isn't going to, Mobius is not going to prune Renslayer. I mean, he kind of feels like he wants to, but he's not going to do that like she did to him or ordered that was done to him because, you know, close personal friends and all. And Renslayer is of the mind because Mobius is like, what mission? The whole thing's a lie. Renslayer is more of the position that it can't have all been for nothing, and she just couldn't let Mobius get in the way and can't stop now. The mission continues even if it's a lie because Renslayer, she cares more about her life in the TVA than the life that she was taken from, and we can just look at that on a superficial level and just say, Renslayer bad. Renslayer's in the way of our heroes, and that makes her bad. And I'm not saying she's good, but mm. I think that in trying to see her position in this and that as far as she knows, she doesn't have an attachment to the life that she was taken from. She has spent eons being this person, Judge Ravona Renslayer or before that Hunter, whatever, A23 or whatever it was. And, and so she has dedicated so much of her life, all of the life that she can remember to this thing and, and to this cause. And she believes that this cause is essential. There's purpose here. There's value in what the TVA does, at least as far as she sees it, even if it is based on a lie. And I think that's a very interesting stance to have a character take is to have characters like Mobius or uh, C20 or B15 to have these characters who, when they snap out of it and realize they had a life before this, they immediately reject the TVA, but then somebody else who said, you know what, I probably was taken against my will, and I don't like it, and I probably would have been upset at the time, but right now, all I can remember is the purpose that I have been fulfilling in this position, in this role, as this person for however long, because time passes differently in the TVA. So I can understand this idea that not everybody in the TVA, when they are awakened to the truth behind it all, would immediately want to give it up. I, I can understand why Ravona Renslayer feels the way that she does, even if what she's continuing to do is, of course, harmful. Right. And I, I definitely have liked the Renslayer character. I know she's not really a major part in the comic books, and this is where I, I'd say they're, this is just taking the name and, and then redoing the whole character completely, pretty much. Um in the whole next, uh, in this whole MCU. And, and, and this Renslayer character is way, way more interesting than the comic books. And I like what they're doing with her. I think this is a great, um, kind of change and, and a welcome change. And I'm in, I'm invested. I I'm really interested how, I, I mean, I think, I do think she's going to be a part of King's world or, you know, as like she is in the comic books, but how to me, she has a lot more of interesting things going on now. Cause she's like, you know, I was, was that what she lied to? Cause I thought she was in on it, Sean. And it doesn't seem like she is at this point. At least again, from what I'm reading into it, I think I'm, her stance is yes, I was lied to, but so what? It, yeah, exactly. Because That's why I, yes, just exactly. because it was all based on a lie doesn't mean I don't believe there's value 
it doesn't mean right. that I don't believe in the cause that I have been fighting for. Because remember, later on in the episode, even He Who Remains says, tell them all the truth. Tell the TVA the truth about what they do and explain to them why. Meaning that maybe not everybody would automatically reject this idea. If you tell people, yes, you're a variant, we took you, but the alternative was killing you or feeding you to a giant cloud monster, that was a tremor. And so you you say, this is the alternative, uh, or you get to live and you fulfill a purpose that you prevent that. Yeah, what you do causes a lot of death, but you prevent even more death. So this is the cause that you could dedicate yourself to. And maybe some people would go along with that because I think that's part of the whole. That's the decision that he who remains puts in front of Loki and Sylvie later and they don't agree. So mm. I think we can see how Renslayer wouldn't necessarily agree with Mobius. When you're looking at what's happening with these characters and the decisions that they are being faced with, that it's they're not automatic slam dunk decisions. These are very complicated things that we could debate for entire episodes in an entirely different podcast series, as we've talked about before. But as far as Renslayer and the, the nature of the lie... We finally find out where she came from. She's from Fremont, Ohio in 2018, because that's where we see Hunter B-15 leading Hunter D-20 and some Minutemen, other TVA agents, into the office of uh, Rebecca Tormenay, who is, a, I'm guessing, the principal at Franklin, mm-hmm. D. Hi- uh, Franklin D. High School. Remember the pen that Mobius focused on? So we thought maybe that belonged to Mobius in his previous life. No, it actually belonged to... Renslayer in her actual life, uh, and somehow she's kept it the whole time. And that's what's interesting to me, though, is that Ravona Renslayer still has the pen that was with her when she was taken. So I don't know. Does she really not remember? Is she really mm. having just been like, did she really just awaken to the truth? I'm not really sure. Um, but maybe it's a subconscious thing. Like maybe she's not even aware of how badly she actually does want to stay connected to her old life because she's held on to that pen and she's been at the TVA for a very long time. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I'm just kind of like, hmm, it's hard to pin exactly, um, you know, when exactly is she, you know, converted or what, what did she know? Or like you said, I just, uh, it's, it's hard because she has all these different artifacts and, and, and not just her pen, but she has all those different uh, other things. She kind of keeps as trophies. It's, it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's definitely maybe a little bit more to that character. I'm curious of where exactly it, it goes down, but yeah, there, there's lots of, they have done a great job of creating a vastly more interesting character. And I hope the Marvel comics do and take up some or incorporate what they've uh, created with this character into the, into the books themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And we have one more Renslayer scene that we will go back to, but let's jump to back to the Citadel at the end of time. It's time for our meeting over tea with He Who Remains. And He Who Remains sums everything up, talking about Sylvie and all the pain on her long journey, everything that she's persevered, she's been through. And then he takes his shots at Loki, calls Loki a flea on the back of a dragon, in for one hell of a ride. But you did manage to hang on. I guess that counts for something. So he's just torching 
Loki with these insults. And I'm having fun with how much fun he's having. Um, and I know he's bad, but he who remains is good at being bad. Mm-hmm. And Loki tries to explain that he who remains has lost because they found him. And he just says, duh, of course you did. Sylvie takes another swing. It's a swing and a miss. And I, his reaction to that was great. So we're still doing that. Hmm? Uh, awesome. Uh, he points out, you can't kill me because I already know what's going to happen. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. We go back to that Miss Minutes offer. But he pulls out the transcripts like we saw with Loki in episode one. And he points out why he's been able to avoid Sylvie's attacks. Yeah, he's got a temp pad, but he already pre- he pre-programmed it with where he needed to go slash when he needed to go in order to successfully avoid all of those attacks. And he explains that he knows it all because he's seen it all. He saw what happened on Lamentis, that little look by the lake, quite sentimental, very touching, by the way. But then he's talking about how they really got here. How did Loki and Sylvie end up at the Citadel at the end of time? He says, every step you took to get here, Lamentis, the void, I paved the road and you just walked down it. And he has the rest of what's going to happen. There's only one way this can go. And when Sylvie wants to know why they're there, he says, you can't know to get, you can't get to the end, to the end until you've been changed by the journey. This stuff, this stuff, it needs to happen to get us all in the right mindset to finish the quest. And that line about you can't get to the end until you've been changed by the journey. It plays like a meta commentary or an acknowledgement of storytelling. Like this is storytelling. Mm Characters being changed by the journey is a fundamental element of storytelling. Look at these characters having been changed by the journey that they've been on throughout this series. We talk about characters and how they change on the journeys they go on throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe and other movies, novels, as I said, storytelling. And it is the guiding hand. You know, that need for characters to be changed by a journey is the guiding hand that shows our heroes fighting for free will Outside the story, they don't really have it because it's a writer who's determining what these characters are going to do. But that's not necessarily the point of He Who Remains. That's just my own observation. It's just a fun thought to me anyway. Um, But Loki sums it up as a game. All of this, it's a game. It's a manipulation. And of course, uh, He Who Remains points out it's interesting that Loki would go there uh, because really, Loki's done his fair share of manipulating in, in his time. So... Yeah, that's how he would interpret things. That would be the first place his mind would go to is that it's a manipulation. And I think he who remains pointing that out to Loki plants the seed of doubt for Loki later as to whether or not all of this is a manipulation. And then he who remains talks, uh, turns his attention towards Sylvie and asks if she can really trust Loki. Well, she trusted him enough to consult his opinion about kicking the door in but she's not going to trust him later. And maybe it's because she was asked this question now. And we're talking about he who remains planting seeds of doubt talks about uh, whether or not Sylvie is capable of trusting anyone. And she's not sure. You can call it Mm. the truth. You can call it a game. You can call it a manipulation. And whether it's manipulation through lies or truth, he who remains is getting to them. He is succeeding in what he's trying to do with these characters, planting seeds of doubt in Loki about whether or not he can just see through a manipulation or maybe there's truth here in what he who remains is saying. 
Meanwhile, for Sylvie, planting the seeds of doubt of whether or not she can trust Loki. And what he's really doing is he's forcing these two who were so sure when they got there, they were so sure of what was about to happen and what they were about to do. And now they both have to question everything, question each other, question what he who remains is telling them. He's completely knocked them off balance right before he's about to present them with an impossible choice. But also, does he know what's about to happen because it's all happened before? Is this all by design, even what Sylvie is going to do to him at the end? And I will expand on that thought uh, later Mm. on. But this felt like, and I don't know, manipulation might not be the, the right word because I do think there's... There are certainly elements of truth to what he who remains is saying here, but I think he is, as I said, one way or another, he wants them off balance, and that's exactly what he's done here. That's exactly where he's put them. Yeah, I agree with that. He definitely is. It's so hard because I want to keep going forward. I'm just going to, I agree with you on this one, Sean. This was. this was why I was just kind of very curious of what was going on. Because I'm like, okay, he knows their every move. So what's the what's the result? What's the conclusion? So I just was kind of like, is he, he's obviously playing with them. But again, I keep going back to that Miss Minutes thing at the very beginning. I'm like, but well, what does that mean? So, right. But anyway, we'll, let's continue. But yes, I agree with you. I, I did like all this, but I was at the same time. I'm like, how? Wait, what is this leading to? Well, if it's all a circle, as we saw visually at the beginning of this, maybe it always mm-hmm. has to come back around to this. I don't know. Mm, OK, you know, flat circle, whatever. Uh, back to Renslayer and Mobius. Uh, Renslayer is making the case that while she's wondering if this is all just a necessary lie because the creator of the TVA, whoever that is, seems like she doesn't know. Uh, she has to believe that they had a reason. Mobius describes the horror of being pruned. He now knows exactly what that means. He has experienced it. And Renslayer talks about the death that comes with not protecting the timeline so yes, you've seen what happens in the void with Eliath, but it gets worse if we don't do what we're doing. And Mobius talks about free will. Renslayer says the only person who gets that is the one in charge. So Mobius trying to get through to her throws back, throws her friends across time speech right back in her face. And they argue over who betrayed whom. And Mobius is saying he's going to stop her, but of course he can't tries to hit her, acts like he was going to hit her with a pruning wand, but doesn't work. She just disarms him immediately, um, as they both knew would happen. Mobius can't stop her. She takes off via the tempad, and that's the last we see of Ravona Renslayer in this episode. And we do see another version of the TVA at the end of this episode. And so I'm wondering, is that the information she got from He Who Remains? Did she get Mm. what she needed to get the ground running on a brand new version of the TVA. I don't know. I mean, she went somewhere and we don't know exactly where, but it seemed like she was reacting to the information she got, which was fulfilling, seemed to be the marching orders of He Who Remains because she got that from Miss Minutes, who we know was definitely working for He Who Remains. So I'm I'm curious to see where uh, Ravona Renslayer ended up, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if she got things started on a new TVA in a, in a branching timeline. I'm not really sure, but that's the mm. best guess I have at, at this point. But in looking at what's happening in this scene, this is a precursor to the debate that Loki and Sylvie are about to have 
this idea of what the system that we have in front of us that we are living and operating in now is deeply flawed and harmful, but from Renslayer's position is we we have to keep it going. We have to uphold it because it is an absolute certainty that if we don't uphold it, it will be way, way worse. And meanwhile, there's the other position of if we know it's flawed, if we know it's harmful, then our only chance at having a better, less harmful system is we have to dismantle this one. It's our only opportunity at having something better but if you don't believe that there's a possibility of, of better, then maybe you go with the approach that uh, Ravona Renslayer is. But I still don't know because we don't know everything about her. So we still kind of have to wonder how pure her motivation and intentions really are. And regardless of her motivations or her intentions, um, that doesn't mean we're going to agree with what she's ultimately deciding to do. But it'll be really mm -hmm. interesting to see where she's ended up when we get to season two. Yeah, I I kind of think that there's going to be I I I want to say she might be one of those characters that kind of it starts off like a bad character and then or you know on the side of evil quote unquote and then turns back to the good side. Mm -hmm. I do feel like there's they've already kind of hinted at that with the whole um Mobius thing, but but yeah, that's where I kind of feel that she's going to head back to somewhere with Kang. Like, I feel like that's where she's kind of headed back to. And then, but she's going to see kind of where the destruction is. Cause I think she's going to see the TVA version. She'll be not like, well, God, we're getting, I'm getting too ahead of myself. I don't think the ending of the TVA where, where we see it at the end of the show, I think she'll remember everything. Oh yeah. I don't think she's, yeah. That, that's, ahead, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think she's the one who maybe set that up. And like, mm, so she rem okay. she remembers from the sacred timeline TVA of here's you know she went to the other timeline because we already know that those temp pads can go apparently they can travel across branches of timelines because Loki ends up in a different TVA than the one he left you know he ends mm. up in a completely different one where Mobius and, and Hunter B fifteen don't even remember him at all. Don't even know that he's a Loki. They just think he's an analyst, but you know, I'm way ahead of myself. We'll get to what all that means later. But yeah, I think Ravona Renslayer might already be playing a role in that, but that's the last mm. uh, we will see of her until season two, unless she pops up somewhere else in another MCU project between now and then going back to he who remains. So he can be, he who explains himself and his history in uh, this scene he understands their moral objections and he talks, he notes that his and admits his methods were deceptive, but not the mission without him, without the TVA. He says everything burns. So Loki asks him what he's afraid of. And he who remains says me. So who is he? He's been dubbed many names by many different people, a ruler, a conqueror. Yes. He who remains a jerk. But it's not as simple as a name, he says. And then he explains his history. Eons ago, before the TVA, a variant of himself lived on Earth in the 31st century, a scientist who discovered universes stacked on top of his own. Other versions learned the same thing, made contact, and for a while, there was peace. Narcissistic, self-congratulatory peace. Love your shoes, love your hair, nice nose amazing run there that, that was a great no, that was good i like that they uh shared technology and knowledge using the best of their universes to improve others but not every version was so pure of heart 
To some of us, new worlds meant new lands to be conquered. Peace between realities erupted into all-out war, that multiversal war that we have been warned about. And uh, it's it was almost the end, ladies and gentlemen, as he says, of everything and everyone, because each variant was fighting to preserve their universe, which meant, as far as they saw it, they needed to annihilate the others. And so this is very much in line when we talk about the mission. So he remains saying methods uh, deceptive. The mission is not. And there is at least consistency. There's not a lot that's different here between his description in this scene versus the video that we got, the uh, info video that we got from Miss Minutes back in episode one. We didn't get all the talk about variants of a 31st century scientist, but the whole multiversal war and how that was causing death and chaos and the collapse of reality as we know it. And it was the TVA, it was the timekeepers or he who remains who saved everything by having the sacred timeline and preserving it. So there is some consistency in in what exactly the mission is. But what he's also described here is he has described the Council of Kangs. That's a thing that's already existed Mm -hmm. when he's talking about all these Kangs from all these different universes meeting up and for a while things being pretty good, but they're never, they're destined to always deteriorate into chaos, into these wars because Kangs, as smart as they are, are very egotistical, as geniuses may be. See the, uh, you know, the debates between, and the snark between Tony Stark and Doctor Strange. Now, that didn't did not create a multiversal war, but geniuses don't get along, and maybe it's even worse if it's different versions of the same genius. I don't know. Um, maybe some, I'm sure some geniuses get along, but Kangs do not, because uh, they can also be very, very petty. Um, in the comic books, they certainly can be, and so that's kind of what happened here. And so... This is what he's saying is the is the worst part of it. You think this is bad, but it, it was way, way worse before this, and it will be again if I don't continue my work, if the TVA does not continue my work or continue its work. Hmm. And this is where I think that I really liked the idea that this king, again, and I like where you said this is kind of the, the future Immortus, like a, a version of Immortus more so than his king, because Immortus is trying to, his whole purpose in the comic books is kind of keeping a timeline, but he's not as insane as he's insane, but he's not as crazy as King. King is like all about just dominating. Whereas Immortus is, is kind of like what we see here. He's kind of keeping things at bay. And as long as things are on his, what he kind of thinks should be going, he doesn't interfere. But if he feels he needs to, he will, and he will go in and interfere with himself, which is really, really strange. But with all that, I do think that this is where it gets really fascinating. The fact that these different Kings all, you know, don't hate each other at some point because of what their definition of what timeline needs to be, what, who should rule. And that's why we have so many different versions of Kang in the Marvel universe or the, you know, the six sixteen universe, because he goes back in time and changes things so many different times that he's altering everything. It's, it's crazy. And I think that what the genius is right here is Kang is literally telling them, I am the nice version. I this, they have no one knows what what this character is. They all think this is, you know, on face value, this is what the character is. Now he's talking about, 
I'm protecting you all mm-hmm. from these evil things. And that's where I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. I'm in. Like, and I knew we were, we were going there, but they are, he's literally telling Loki's or, and whatever. Uh, if you get, if once I go, like it's over, like you guys are going to go in for a eternal war. Yeah. And that's where I love. This is where I think the genius of Marvel is because they have now done what, and it's definitely longer than the, you know, mid or post credit scene with Thanos. They spent a whole episode setting up this character. Now everyone knows like, oh crap. Like again, it, it's really brilliant. I, I have to say it's brilliant how they have, they, how they've done it. Cause now people have invested in the character and yet, Sean, they have no idea what to expect either. Most of them don't. And that's what I love about this. You don't get a sense of what to expect at all, other than that there's bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, you really don't know where it's going to go from here. I mean, you have theories, of course, but it's so wide open from here. But I also just love the way like he's taking credit for all that he's done. Like, yes, he was able, he discovered and studied, experimented on, and weaponized Eliath. That's what helped him prune all these timelines, was having a big giant cloud monster to eat them all. Um, and because he isolated the sacred timeline, he just managed the flow of it to prevent any further branches. Like, hence, ages of uh, ages and ages of cosmic harmony. Hence, you're welcome. And then he says, you came to kill the devil. Well, I keep you safe. And if you think I'm evil, well, just wait till you meet my variants and that's the gambit, stifling order or cataclysmic chaos. You may hate the dictator, but something far worse is going to fill that void if you depose of him. And so uh, he says, I've lived a million lifetimes, gone through every scenario. This is the only way. So this is his point. The TVA, love it or hate it, it works. Mm-hmm. Or he's lying. And so this just goes on with, so what are you expecting us to do? Let you carry on and just keep pruning timelines. But here's where it gets a even, it's already pretty tricky, but now it goes up a notch. No, Loki and Sylvie would be the ones carrying on the work of the TVA. He presents them with two options, kill him and destroy all this. So you don't have one devil, but an infinite amount or Loki and Sylvie would be the ones running it. And so that's what makes it, I think, a more complicated decision Mm -hmm. and moral dilemma is it's not a guy saying, let me hang on to my power. He's willing to, or so he says anyway, surrender control because he's tired, I guess. Uh, Buddy, I'm tired. This game is for the young, the hungry. And he's willing to give up control, turn it over to them to say... You get to handle this. If you believe what I'm saying and believe that this is necessary, you don't even have to fully trust me to carry on the work. You trust yourselves. You get to do this. Because he even says, you know, he was looking for one person, the right person to take a spot. Turns out that person came in too. And so we go back to the options, kill him, expose the sacred timeline, multiversal war, or take over and return to the TVA as its benevolent rulers tell the workforce who they are and why they do what they do. And of course, this all still sounds terrible because we're still talking about, we, we know the net result of this. If this keeps going, then 
countless people die via these prune timelines over eons. It just keeps going and keeps going, and it's all this death. And I like his explanation for it. This is just how detached he is after doing this for eons. Is It's not personal, it's practical, is how he rationalizes it. Sylvie says it was personal to me, and mm. he who remains yells at her to grow up and says, yeah. murderer, hypocrite. And one of my favorite lines of the entire episode... One of my favorite lines in the MCU in recent memory, we're all villains here. Mm. We've all done horrible, terrible, horrific things. And I like how he's saying horrible, terrible, horrific things. He points at Loki. And the look on Sylvie's face, more praise for Sophia DiMartino, shows that she can't refute this claim. She mm. can't deny this. Let's remember what Sylvie has done. We kind of forgot about this, or not, I don't know if we forgot about it, but we haven't really focused on the fact that she killed a lot of innocent people and we saw her do it in this series. The TVA were kind of perceived as enemies when we saw her killing hunters and Minutemen, but what did we find out that she already knew? She knew those TVA agents were all brainwashed variants. They were victims just like her, and yet she murdered so many of them. We saw two mm. of her attacks. We saw the aftermath of another attack at a crime scene back in episode one. She's been killed. And we know that she didn't just start there. We saw how many reset charges she had, or we didn't even see exactly how many, but we knew it was a lot back in episode two with her bombing of the sacred timeline. So if she has all of that, well, think of how many, when we look at the crime scenes that we did see in this series, Think of how many TVA agents that is that she wasted per reset charge. Does that number compare to what he who remains has killed? No, of course it doesn't. But it's still a lot of people. And it's still yeah. a lot of people that she knew were innocent. But she did it because she thought that she, it was in the name of some greater good. That she was saving lives by doing that, ultimately. By, by taking lives, she was saving lives in the end. Well, this is on a much bigger scale but the whole idea of sacrificing lives, even innocent ones, in the name of the greater in the name of the greater good, that's not something that Sylvie can say uh, she hasn't justified to herself in her own set of circumstances. So that's worth keeping in mind, and that's why, hey, the call of her being a hypocrite, not totally wrong. Uh, meanwhile, let's let's consider the Loki in this story. This isn't the Loki who went through Dark World and Ragnarok and all of that stuff. This is a Loki who just got picked up after the events of the Avengers. Remember what Natasha said in the Avengers? He killed 80 people in two days. And that was before the Battle of New York. And then all mm. the people who died in the Battle of New York. So yeah, we're all villains here. We've all killed innocent people in the name of what we thought was right, in the name of what we thought was just. And so here we are. This is the conversation that we're having. You've, you two have been doing it in your own way and your own smaller scale. I'm presenting you with an opportunity do it on a much larger scale, and if you believe what I'm saying, serve per perhaps the greatest good of all to prevent this infinite evil from taking over. That's a great observation about that part where he calls out Sylvie and says, hypocrite. And I think you got a little bit, and then he tells her to grow up too, you get a little bit of the rage of, a hint of the rage mm -hmm. that Masters can bring with this character, and if if it's Kane the Conqueror, then he needs to be really 
he's either in control or he's going crazy. You know, it's, it's there's no kind of in between as far as I'm concerned. And um, I, I, it was really cool to see that part. And the fact that you know, also how he's trying to manipulate them to what he wants. And again, where it, it kind of plays in the idea of, you know, he's offering them this, the TVA to, to control as a way of saving him. It's like, you kill me, then you have to deal with everybody else. But if I, you know, I, I, it was just interesting. I'm like, what is that? Why? Why does he, is he afraid of these Lokis? And I, I keep going back to the idea of like plans and plans and all that jazz. And, but I don't know. I, I did like seeing that part where he called them out. And mm-hmm. I did. I, I also like the fact that it is kind of like they're all villains or have a history of that. And you, and there is a, a part to play. And again, maybe that's why he is afraid of them is the fact that they, because they have that tendency, they could overthrow him because their power and all that stuff. Cause King's power is a lot of it's technological. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not like he, I mean, he's, he makes himself powerful over time, but he's a genius and that's kind of where his power kind of starts and, and ends essentially from there. And whereas Loki is, and, and Sylvie, they are, they are gods, they are magical powers. And so it's, it is interesting, but I definitely think that there's, I, I love the fact that he calls her out and I think that he tries to use that against him. And it, it, to be honest, there, he, not, he's like you said, he's not wrong and he's not right. It's it's a great play of between all these different characters, right? Just because Sylvie, it's true that Sylvie has killed innocent people and people she knew were innocent based on her own understanding of the way things worked at the TVA. Even though she has done those things, does that really mean what he's doing is right? No, but his position is, and what he's trying to convince them of is, we've all done bad things. Now you can do them for a good reason. Well, I think Sylvie probably already thought the bad things that she was doing were for a good reason, but we're, we're upping the scale quite a bit. And uh, then we hear a sound and the, uh, he who remains notes this. We, we, we see him hear it and some, he says that something, or we just crossed the threshold. And for the first time in this entire episode, he seems genuinely bothered Like, yes, Mm -hmm. he got frustrated and yelled, grow up to Sylvie. But as far as being genuinely concerned about what's about to happen, this is the first time. And Mm -hmm. he even says, he finally admits to a lie. Well, I mean, he did admit to deceptive methods, but he says he fibbed earlier about knowing how everything was going to go. He did know until seven, eight, nine, ten seconds ago. And we start to see that branches are growing out of the sacred timeline. And now he has no idea how this is going to go, but this creates a sense of urgency. Uh, another kind of highlighting this as he was going through his whole thing, uh, saying, you know, his, his long, amen before he had to explain, you know, where the, uh, the dogma ended and everything that he was asking for, uh, when he had to explain, you know, Eliath and everything he did to harness and, and control the sacred timeline. But, now it's time to make a decision, or at least he who remains is saying it, that this is all happening, we've crossed the threshold, it's time to make a decision, carry on his work, or plunge that blade into his chest and start a multiversal war. We already know that blade is going in his chest, or at least we know now, having seen the rest of the episode. Uh, But he says, though, he's going to end up right back there anyways, 
reincarnation baby as he explains it <laughs> i love uh, that by the way yeah that was great. great sylvie thinks it's a lie but loki believes he who remains and uh, i love going through how uh, he remains saying he loves all this honesty and he floats his little temp pad and says it's uh it's because it's kind of no good now it Whatever pre-programmed destinations he had no longer apply because now, as he says, he no longer knows what's going to happen. Uh, Sylvie lunges for because she recognizes this, that here's the opportunity. This thing he's been using to avoid my attacks is gone. So Sylvie goes for it, uh, goes for him again. But this time it's Loki who blocks her and they argue over whether or not to believe he who remains. Loki believes him. Sylvie doesn't. And Loki says... He's a liar, but so am I. And I don't think he was lying about that. And he who remains, we talk about stirring the pot. He's forcing the urgency of this decision. Better hurry. Timeline's already branching. And Loki goes back to the gambit. Remove the dictator. What fills the void? And this is where Sylvie's lack of trust factors in. She accuses Loki of wanting the throne. Now, Sylvie doesn't believe Loki. As he who remains pointed out, that was the essential question here. Could she really trust Loki? Could she trust anyone? And here now, at this critical moment, Loki or Sylvie doesn't trust Loki. And Loki says that, let's take a minute. Let's think about it. He promises that it's not about the throne, but Sylvie doesn't think she can trust him. Loki is hurt by how little she thinks of him. And he says, after all this time, which little nitpick here, I don't really get that. Like they haven't yeah. spent that much time together. I know time passes differently in the TVA, but they weren't together that much in the TVA. They were on Lamentus for about 12 hours. And I don't think they were on, together that long in the void. Like they had a conversation there and then like what the elevator ride up to the timekeepers and then the fight, whatever. Uh <laughs> It's not so much about how much time. I think it's really more about the bond that has formed between the two of them in whatever amount of time that they've spent together. And Sylvie is wondering why they're not seeing this the same way. And Loki says, because you can't trust and I can't be trusted. So I know I keep saying Sylvie doesn't trust Loki. I can't blame her for not trusting Loki. It's very difficult to trust Loki. You have so many reasons not to and sylvie certainly does as well so they battle and loki is saying maybe he's lying maybe he's not but the cost of getting this wrong is too great and loki uh where when sylvie goes to kill i should say when sylvie goes to kill uh he who remains loki puts his own neck between the blade and he who remains and loki takes one last attempt at trying to reach sylvie and I really love this performance from Tom Hiddleston, as well as the dialogue, which was written beautifully. I've been where you are. I felt what you feel. Don't ask me how I know. Uh, don't ask me how I know. All I know is I don't want to hurt you. I don't want a throne. I just want you to be okay. And Sylvie is understandably moved by that. And she kisses Loki. Who wouldn't after that speech? Oh, boy. Uh, but then she says, but I'm not you. And then, se- and then opens up a time portal through the temp pad and uh, sends Loki back to the TVA. That whole sequence was amazing. Yes. And it is a representation of everything that Loki has been through here. And Loki is trying so hard to connect with Sylvie. And it's not really about, the reason he's trying to connect with her is not about the intellectual or philosophical disagreement about this choice, this decision that's been put in front of them. 
It's about the reason why a decision is made. Loki's not necessarily saying that the answer is, we definitely don't end up killing this guy, but we do need to take a minute to think about it. And what Loki is sensing within Sylvie is anger and a desire for revenge, the need to seek justice for having been slighted, uh, seeking justice for having more than slighted, having been truly wronged. And granted, Sylvie's been wronged in bigger ways than Loki ever was, and her anger is even more intense and I would say more valid than a lot of what made Loki angry. I mean, his anger was valid in his own timeline, but for Sylvie, it's been even more severe. But the point remains, though, who had more, you know, reason to be angry over their circumstances before they were making certain decisions? You can debate that all day long, but the point that Loki is trying to make when he's saying, I've been where you are, I've felt what you feel, is he knows that feeling of being so angry and seeking justice slash revenge and wanting it so badly that it clouds your judgment. Maybe Sylvie would make the same decision anyway. Maybe if Sylvie was not thinking about all that she's been, every every way in which she's been wronged, tortured by the TVA, and, and really that means tortured by he who remains, chased by he who remains, had her entire life taken away from her, and then had to spend eons on the run trying to survive, or however long it was. I mean, she says that she was, you know, she's been doing this or was pruned before. Uh, they tried to prune her before Loki even existed. So she's been at this for a long time. But she may have made, if she isn't thinking about that and just goes back to the moral dilemma, maybe she still makes the same decision. I don't re- know that she would necessarily regret the decision that she made. What she might regret, though, is why she made that decision, that she did it out of anger and not mm-hmm. out of taking a moment and thinking what was really, truly best. And that's why Loki wanted to take a minute and he wanted to take a minute because of all those times that he should have and he didn't. But Mm. it doesn't work out. Sylvie kills he who remains, uh, who laughs at his own demise and just says, I'll see you soon. (sighs) That was okay. First of all, before I get into the King implications for a little bit here, Sylvie stuff. I I love this. And this is where I was talking about how the buildup of, Sylvie's on, you know, her uncertainty, you know, again, everything she wanted. And all of a sudden it, like he says, it's not what you expected. And he explains everything. And she realizes that it's even more complicated and insane that why she's in this position in the first place. And you have all of that to Loki and to where she just not only wants her revenge, I think she just, she wants her revenge so badly. Again, it's that, it's that selfishness that, you know, like you said, Sean, she needed that, you know, that revenge. And that's what Loki needed back in the Avengers time, mm-hmm. you know, timeline back then. He, he, that great, I, I just rewatched the first film, um, the other day, or I watched some of it. And the whole scene between Thor and Loki at the very beginning, uh, where, you know, he takes him off the, the, the Quinjet, and then, you know, throws them on the on the cliff and they're just mm. talking for a few minutes. It's great. And and Loki is so blind. And you see that 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 uh stubbornness, that that hurt that is that clouds everything. Yeah. And you see that here, that even though she sees a version of herself that she's in love with, God, that's weird. And you know, and it's basically saying, you know, telling her, 
this is not what you think. And you have to really think about this. You have to, you know, all that being said, she only sees her revenge and the whole buildup of at first, she's willing to kind of almost see the light at some point after she realizes that she's kind of in over her head. She doesn't care. And even though like the guy is front of her is basically telling her, yeah, go ahead, kill me. It's almost, it's just like, it's almost so tempting. She can't help herself. And I, I love all that. I love the fact they play on the idea that in the end, her selfishness, and again, I'm not saying what she has justification for what she feels, but in the end, she didn't take, think about what the ramifications of do what, what she'll do and to see that. And, and for him telling her before and afterwards, it's such a great like scene and it sets up an idea of what, again, the, th- the themes of what Loki has gone through. Like, you know, you don't, you, you can, you don't have to set your own, your, your destiny is not set. Right. But yet at the same time, that's all she wanted. It, it, it's yeah, I, I love it. I love this. That one look it, it, basically she inspired him and, and they almost they flipped roles at the very end of the of the season. She ended up doing what he wanted at the very beginning, and then she he became her as far as you know where they were at personally, as far as like being in one becoming an individual and one giving into their temptation and into their kind of more twisted nature, if you will, or selfish nature. It's awesome. And I love that. And as far as the King implications, I just love the fact that like the, the, to me, this was like the death of like any decency that this version had or any version had. Like to me, the, what I saw this Sean was this version of King was the, or Immortus was the last semi decent version of them. And now like it's off, like the kid, the kid gloves are off. It's it's go time. It's you know, it's crazy, which is so, maybe what he wanted all along. And maybe maybe he was bored, like you said, there's, right? uh, you know, and, and I'll talk more about Kang in a moment. But just going back to this decision, I don't think Sylvie was in defense of Sylvie. I don't think she was purely selfish here. I think it was a combination of sure the selfish motivation for revenge while at the same time having the motivation of trying to save others because it's hard for Sylvie to look at the the threat of an even worse fate, the threat of infinite devils or whatever it is. It's hard for her to look at that and say, well, theoretical devils are one thing, but there's an actual devil in front of me And what he's talking about as far as this all being in service of the greater good or whatever, I don't believe that because I've been on the other side of this. I've been on the side of those getting pruned and I've seen it. I've seen the horror of it over and over again. It's been my own experience, but I know this is an experience of so many others and it needs to stop. So I think that's what she can use to kind of, and and it's a valid position to take. And so I, I think that's where it's the, it's the combination. It's those competing motivations, but they ultimately arrive at the same conclusion. There is an intellectual philosophical way in which she can support her decision, but then also, yes, it is somewhat self-serving, the satisfaction of wanting revenge, but this is also the manipulation of he who remains, 
go back to the beginning of the episode where she was the one who hesitated to kick the doors in. She wasn't acting in anger at the beginning of this episode. But I think after however long this conversation actually went on for in real time or Citadel at the end of time time, whatever this was, it got to her because you have this guy being so flippant about this idea of the fate of countless lives and everything that he's done and just talking about it and explaining all of it with a smile on his face and chomping on his apple and having the time of his life explaining this and laughing and giggling and, you know, just all of this stuff, like just being completely unfazed by everything that he's done and unfazed by Loki and Sylvie standing before him and just acting like this moment is nowhere near as significant as it obviously is to Sylvie. And so I I think that was part of it, this whole thing. I mean, and even questioning, she was trusting Loki before, but then planting the seeds of doubt, just saying, hey, you know, you've, I I guess you've learned to trust this guy, but are you sure about that? And then, of course, the critical moment, uh, she doesn't because the doubt was planted there. And so I think it it points to he who remains uh, being manipulative in this case. But also, I think for Sylvie that she was convinced that this was the right thing to do. And yes, it also just happened to coincide with her, uh, with the revenge that she wanted and the justice that she was seeking. But I also don't think that was entirely selfish because she's not just seeking justice for herself. It's justice for so many. And that's what's different from her goals all along compared to Loki in that Loki wanted to rule for what? For other than just for the sake of ruling, whereas she's actually trying to stop a harmful system. But yeah, the parallels between her and Loki that I see that are so interesting is, you know, you brought up the earlier films. Think about those times where we saw Thor pleading with Loki when Loki was destroying all of Jotunheim in the first Thor movie and and Thor is pleading with him to stop. And Loki thinks about it for a second, but he doesn't stop. Thor pleading with Loki at the Battle of New York to stop this and let's fight off the Chitauri together. And Loki thinks about it for a second, but he doesn't stop. He continues with the attack. And that's kind of what it was with Sylvie Mm. here. I mean, not as self-serving as Loki was trying to be, but yeah, a a bit of self-serving quality to it for sure. But this is why I think this finale is is so interesting and, and why, sure, we, we don't get the big epic action, but the decision-making here, the, the dilemma that's that they are faced with is epic. I mean, look at what the creators of this series have done. I mean, you take a series where you put free will at the core of this story. It's one of the central themes within this story, and, and it's all under the idea that Free will is essential, right? It's something that people should have. But it also comes with responsibility. And responsibility can become a burden when you're forced to decide between only undesirable options. When you get two options and both of them are bad, that is something that all of a sudden free will isn't all it's cracked up to be. In general, I think free will is a good idea. But this is where... This is one of the pitfalls of it is sometimes you have the will where you have to make a decision and none of the options in front of you are any good. It is, I mean, going back to Infinity War phrasing, this is a trading lives equation and there is no good solution for it. This is the burden that he who remains put on Sylvie and put on Loki by giving them the free will to choose what would happen next. And I can't help but feel like 
perhaps this impossible choice was given to the Loki variants, Loki and Sylvie, for the purpose of dividing them. That you have this 50-50 moral dilemma that was going to divide them, and maybe that was part of an even larger plan. Is this what Kang wanted all along? Is it all just a masterful manipulation? Maybe, maybe not. I, I guess we'll find out if the new Kang, uh, the next Kang, has any other connect, has any sort of connection to uh, the one that just died here with uh, He Who Remains. But there was a lot of manipulating behavior going on here. So if this was all a setup to allow another more powerful Kang to uh, come into power or, or use the TVA or whatever it is, uh, that wouldn't surprise me either. So if if this was all part of the plan, that wouldn't shock me. That's a good point, too. Oh, man, Kang is... <sighs> yeah, this is this is where I think that he almost is that like Loki on steroids from like the whole plan is a plan and yeah, you know, all that, or even like, yeah, Thanos wasn't really like that. I would say to, you know, he's just powerful and had a, you know, just kept going, but this whole, you know, always had like a backup plan to this, Mm -hmm. to that. It definitely feels that way to an extent. So man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely feel he was manipulating the situation. I just wish I had a little more. I wish I had more details of what exactly his whole, what exactly his old plan was at that moment. Yeah. It's just, it's still a little weird. It makes sense when you watch the whole episode to an extent, but it's also a kind of, you have to kind of go with the, well, also if you go with, I'm tired, maybe he doesn't mind checking out just being like, yeah, you know, another version too. of me takes over. Is that guy really me? No, not my consciousness. It's another guy. I don't care. I, I, I've been at this for a while. I, it won't be my problem. I'll be gone. Or maybe it will be because, you know, reincarnation, baby. So I, I don't know. Um, so what actually happens now that he who remains no longer remains? So what happens is we see the sacred timeline. Now it's really branching out. The branches were kind of creeping out before. Now it's just getting out of control because even the branches have branches. It's like Doctor Strange with his hands growing new hands and all his fingers growing new hands. Like That's basically what's happening to the sacred timeline. I mean, it's just a full on web at this point. Like it's just, it's an absolute mess as, and and then we cut back to the TVA. We see the branches are crossing the threshold. This did not happen in episode two. It's happening here and now in episode six, the season finale. Mobius says there's no turning back now. Hunter B-15 responds, who said anything about turning back? And then Mobius says for all time, Hunter Hunter B-15 finishes the mantra always. And then we see Loki sitting in the time theater, absorbing the loss. Another just incredible performance by Tom Hiddleston, who's always great as Loki and has really just delivered some amazing performances, especially when he's seated in a, in a time theater. But he's absorbing what just happened. And the, the loss of Sylvie, because who knows when he's going to see her again, the hurt at kind of having that feeling embraced and reciprocated with the kiss that they had, but then being shoved away. I mean, to experience this love and this connection, and then it is is ripped away. And just knowing that he tried to reach her and he couldn't, although, again, I don't, this is not blame Sylvie, like everybody wrongfully blamed Star-Lord in Infinity War or whatever, although different set of circumstances anyway. 
Uh, this is not the blame Sylvie hour or two hours or however long this goes. It's just the because I, I do think that there was there was no I don't know that there was a right decision to be made between the two of them. But Loki was trying to reach her and he couldn't. And I think what he's more bothered by is why he couldn't reach her. And maybe that why was that she couldn't trust him. And if it's anybody's fault that she didn't trust him, it's his fault because he's the one who's lived a life not being trustworthy. So for him to absorb all of that, and you just see it all over Tom Hiddleston's face and in his performance there, um, maybe it turns out love really is a dagger after all. I don't know, but it really hurts Loki right here. But he finds the resolve. He's not going to give up. Whatever happened, he's going to find a way back to Sylvie. He's going to find a way to solve whatever this is. And he takes off running to the TVA. He finds Mobius and Hunter B-15, but they have no idea what's going on or what's been going on. They don't even know who Loki is, think maybe he's an analyst. And then as we look in the TVA, we see that where those timekeeper statues were in the TVA that we knew, there's just one statue now. And that there's Kang. That's a Kang costume. That's not yeah, he who remains. That's that's Kang. And we, as uh, you know, Loki just sees what's going on here and he's com- completely bewildered by this as are we uh we roll credits what timeline mm. is loki even in i i don't know i mean i feel like there's i mean we know there are multiple timelines now right because of all the branches mm-hmm. i feel like the timeline where mobius and hunter b15 are saying no turning back now i feel like that timeline still exists and yes. i think they're they're somewhere doing their thing Loki has somehow ended up in a completely different branched timeline where the TVA exists already, um, but it is a completely different TVA. Well, not completely, obviously. Some people are still there, but it's still a very different or different enough TVA than uh, the one he last left. Maybe the Ravona Renslayer that we know uh, is already there and has already been setting things up. Maybe not. But uh, one of those infinite devils in the form of a Kang the Conqueror uh, is in charge of this version of the TVA. Yeah, this was a I, I, it was a great Easter egg. I mean, it was a it was very interesting. The fact that this Loki is now in a different TVA timeline and seeing Kang the Conqueror, at least a version or something like that was awesome costume from what we could tell. 100% King Conqueror, except I need that helmet. Sean, need the helmet. <laughs> hey, I do too, and I think we'll eventually get it. I, 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 I We better. But I'm just saying, I don't care if we have the blue face. I don't care about that crap. Just give me the helmet. And it's purple, which we all know it will be. But yeah, this was, but everything else, this scene where they're going with the character looks great. And I think this is, again, the genius of the MCU. The fact that they spent this whole episode setting up a giant character and characters that are going to be coming in the MCU, you know, further is just rad. And I think that this to me, and we'll, again, we, you, we have kind of teased this. We're going to be talking about, you know, more King, even more in depthly. Uh, that's a word. I'm not sure. Um, well, then we'll be talking about the multiverse and yes, Kang will factor. Yeah, in. Be, but, but what I'm saying is though, that what in, that entails with Kang. And I think this is where I, th- what, what what I will say that with what we got with Thanos before, all those end credit scenes and random episodes, and maybe they weren't all tied together, that's what I think this will replace um, as far as that goes. 
I think going forward, they're they're obviously going to be you know movie, movies that are going to be you know heavily bringing in King aspects. Don't get me wrong, we got some of them coming up, but I think we're going to be getting end credit scenes that'll be building up towards this with you know with him in mind. Even though they're going to be great stories and everything going forward, this is where I think that the the, the the Thanos character could be coming in. Who knows? Could be wrong. Maybe maybe they're just leading up to a one part, one phase of that, and like, right. like an Ultron, if you will. Um, you know, if, if that makes sense. But I don't, I don't think so. I think with introducing Kang in his one in this one episode and what it represents, it's a big big can of worms. I don't think you do that just to kind of just quickly dissolve it. I think this is going to be a long standing story. Well, even if you stop Kang doesn't mean the multiverse goes away, but right. I think Kang is a problem we're dealing with at least through Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Well, yeah. really good chance. We're still dealing with this through fantastic four. And so I, you know, I, I'm really not dismissing the idea that the fantastic four might be, and, and I know I'm not the only one who's thought this. A lot of people have been speculating about this lately, that because we don't have an Avengers film announced yet, that maybe Fantastic Four is the culmination of Phase Four. I mean, we're so used to phases kind of culminating in Avengers movies, although Phase Two and Three, uh, Phases Two and Three, ended with, uh, you know, Ant Man for Phase Two, Spider Man Far From Home for Phase Three. But the major culmination type event was always an Avengers movie: Avengers, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Avengers: Infinity War, Avengers: Endgame that maybe that would be fantastic for this time around because Kang certainly has Nathaniel Richards, Reed Richards. Like There are certainly ties to the Fantastic Four for Kang the Conqueror, so that would make a lot of sense. And, but also, we don't know anything about Fantastic Four yet other than John Watts is directing it, but we know about Kang being an Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, so we know he's around for at least that long and has the potential to pop up now and then, I don't think he's going to be the central antagonist in films like Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Those will be other things dealing with these implications, these consequences of the multiverse and these branching timelines. Uh, surely they they must be. But this is where, you know, as far as but maybe updates on Kang in, you know, yes. tags to keep an eye on him and what's going on. And then maybe see him again in Loki 2 and then Ammon and the Lost Quantumania, whichever one arrives first i don't really know although probably going to be loki season two that shows up before ant-man and the wasp quantumania i don't know we'll see uh, when they start doing it maybe they've already filmed it i don't think so maybe i have no idea uh anyway so there's a lot of implications on this but just more specific to where things are for loki end of season one going into season two i think that as i said loki's ended up in a different timeline I really hope that the Mobius and Hunter B-15 that we know are still around in a different timeline. I really hope that that's true because I'm not as interested in this idea of like Loki has to catch up Mobius and B-15 to like bring them back to where they were at the start of all this. Like I it's one of my pet peeves is having to wait around for characters to catch up to things that they already know and I already know that they know. But, mm. um, you know, as long as they don't, dwell on that for too long but it's more interesting to me if you have people in different timelines because we know there are people in different timelines trying to find a way back to each other um is uh, i think a really interesting storyline to be part of even bigger things that are going on 
in Loki season two and throughout the multiverse. But this is also when I talk about this series uh, having or this episode being a great season finale is this is what it does, right? When there's another Mm -hmm. season, especially when they make it official, it sucks when you get a season finale that's a cliffhanger and then the show gets canceled. Well, this show is not canceled. They already know they're making season two. So to end on this cliffhanger is, uh, I think, certainly, uh, I think it's a valid choice and I think it's an interesting choice in the way that it plays out because it resolves things as far as here here was our understanding of the process and of everything that we were dealing with through season one. And a lot of it was true. And now we've rejected that system and now we deal with the fallout of it. And what I, I think is an interesting question, though, is that the TVA is supposed to exist after a Kang or a variant Kang, whatever, has already won. So if there's a new TVA, does that mean that we're already back to another sacred timeline and all these branches have been clipped? I don't think so, because Mobius and B-15 are talking about how there's like 63 branches or something. So I think this is a version of events where the TVA is existing even in probably several timelines and maybe several different Kangs have their own version of the TVA. But this is one where obviously there is a Kang in charge, not the timekeepers. There's no pretense of the timekeepers or anything like that. It's just Kang the Conqueror or whatever this version of him is going to be called, although probably Kang. I don't know. My head is spinning as far as where this is going to go, what it's going to mean. It is an entire episode unto itself to look at these possibilities and what this means for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man No Way Home, potentially Fantastic Four, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, definitely. Just no idea what's going to happen with all of this. And I love being in that position. I love being, as somebody who pays a lot of attention, some might say too much attention to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and spend so much time thinking about and talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I love it so much and these stories are so amazing uh, and, and entertaining and also emotionally fulfilling with great uh, character-based storytelling that I just love so much. Um, I still don't know what's going to happen. And and I can't figure out where this is going to go because there's too many options. You saw how many options there are. Here's the visual representation of like all those branches and branches having branches. Those are all the different directions that this could go from here. And I, I am just so excited about it. I was listening to a podcast today and it was the like official D23, like inside podcast, whatever. And they were interviewing Kevin Feige. And on whatever day they recorded that interview, he was talking about how just that morning, they, you know, the creatives, Marvel Studios Parliament and whoever else were like, had a multiverse meeting. You know, they're talking about the rules for the multiverse and whatever, which if you take Kevin Feige at his word that that meeting happened that morning, well, they already filmed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. They already filmed... Spider-Man No Way Home, they're about to film Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which means they should already know the story. So if they're still talking about the multiverse and the rules of the multiverse and preserving whatever rules have been established and are going to continue to be explored, that yeah, this is a thing that's going to go on. We're in this for the long haul with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I, I have to tip my cap, you know, the Kevin Feige cap to not just him, but everybody who's wrangling this because... These are the ideas that shouldn't work. These are the ideas that 
before the MCU, we would have said, why would you even attempt this? There's no way the audience would be on board with this. You can't trust them to go along. You cannot trust them to go along uh, with you on this ride with all these crazy comic booky things that they won't be able to keep up with. But that's just not where the audience is at anymore. The audience is up for this. They're ready to go. And also, while we're uh, giving some credit, thank you very much to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for the whole multiverse concept being a lot more mainstream, not just because of like box office success, which wasn't amazing for that film, no pun intended, but I think Netflix viewership and everything. We've talked about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, proving to be, I think, a very influential movie uh, for the superhero genre. And I think there's certainly some credit to be given there. But also, this is what Marvel Studios is doing. You know, they told a story that was so much bigger than we ever thought it would be, than we ever dreamed it would be for superhero movies with the Infinity Saga and the way it culminated in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And here they are going even bigger with what they're doing. Like, I, I never cease to be amazed and astonished by what they do, by their creative ambition. But all that creative ambition is it's only so exciting because I know that they can actually hit these goals, that they just continue to set the bar higher and higher, and yet somehow uh, they continue to clear it because this is the type of idea that should not work. Yes, and yet agreed. I have full faith that it will. I mean, I'm not giving them credit for achieving what they haven't because they still have to actually prove it, but I have every confidence that they will because that's just what they do. And it's the level of care that they put into these stories and the talent that they are able to find uh, to keep coming in and freshening up these stories and just keep things moving and keep uh, allow the MCU to just continue to evolve from everybody that made the Infinity Saga what it was from John Favreau to James Gunn, Ryan Coogler, Taika Waititi, the Russo brothers, and so many more to now what we have uh, with what we have with Jack Schaefer and Matt Shackman, congrats to him on getting a new Star Trek directing gig for WandaVision, to now uh, Michael Waldron, uh, Eric Martin, Kate Heron, the whole team for Loki, and everything that they've got coming up. They just find such tremendous talent to bring these stories and bring these characters to life. And it's just, it's so impressive. I'm so grateful that we have it. And uh, I, I just, I loved this series with Loki this entire season. I love all the possibilities that it has opened up with the way things ended, but no matter how big the story gets, and this one gets really big by the end of it, and things are going to get bigger and bigger, the reason this keeps working is because character is at the center of it, and they did not lose sight of that in this episode at all, with tremendous work and, and care being given to Loki and Sylvie, and even other smaller characters like Ravona Renslayer and Mobius, and then a brand new one with He Who Remains as uh, portrayed wonderfully by Jonathan Majors in this. Character is at the heart and center of the MCU, even as we turn this thing from a universe into a multiverse. And I couldn't be more pleased in about what we've been given and more excited about what's to come. Well said. I don't think I could sum it up any better than that, Sean. That was very well done. I try. Well... So uh, I know I've been very, uh, you know, giving my gratitude to the folks at Marvel Studios, but I've got some other folks to thank. Thank you very much to Brandon, to New 90s in 2020, and Anthony W. for being some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where we have exclusive 
podcast like the Patreon credit scenes, which for episode 211, hour-long episode. So after a three-hour Black Widow spoiler review, an hour-long Patreon credit scene talking about the What If trailer and Black Widow financial performance that's not just uh, box office anymore, also uh, contains this new phrase, consumer spend, that we're going to have to start thinking about now uh, with Disney Plus numbers. Uh, But I broke all that down in that Patreon credit scene. There will be a Patreon credit scene for this episode, not immediately, but it will follow in the days to come after this episode is released, where I'll be talking about some of those Emmy, some, all those amazing Emmy nominations, well-deserved Emmy nominations for WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, 28 total for Marvel Studios. They just started making TV, and they already have it. Loki, by the way, not eligible because it was released too late. Loki's time will come next year. Um, But uh, for WandaVision, The Falcon and Winter Soldier, congrats to all who were nominated and all who weren't because they all did uh, tremendous work making uh, these shows so great with WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier and now Loki. So you'll hear me talk about that on the Patreon credit scene, which will be available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And you can get a private RSS link that goes into podcatchers like Apple Podcasts. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, follow my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Also, the Twitter page, also at Binge Comic. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. You can find me on those places if you kind of if you search hard enough. I'm too lazy to even say it right now. But uh, <laughs> please uh, follow the Comic Binge because we're going to be doing a, a fun little comp, uh, MCU required reading. A little surprise, a couple got some people coming on the show and talk about some comic books where where to go after you've watched Loki and Black Widow and what kind of things can tie into that so pretty excited and it's going to be a good old time so check it out should be well it'll be a live stream on Tuesday so that's the uh what's 19th I believe so yeah July 19th around 7 p.m pacific time so if you can't check it out then just go and watch the show eventually but yeah check it out Tuesday is July 20th so there you go. Oh boy, it's late. That's all right. I got you. Uh, And if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you may do so at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU fan show. We'll see you next time.